Welcome to Screen Quest, a podcast where a fellowship of film lovers and armchair movie experts plays film roulette. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Waterman, joined by my fellow party members. That's right. You guys are party members now. I thought, why not? Uh, May Finch. Hi, <laughs> guys. May Finch. And Mr. Will Rotondi. Hey, how's it going? It is going well. Uh, we are recording this on a Monday, which is why it looks like it's Screen Quest after the dark. Although it is uh, getting to be shorter and shorter days, which I'm not a fan of. So pardon our, our uh, dark lighting here uh, behind me. And um, let me ask you guys, how, how was your Thanksgiving? Do you think fun? Lots of eating. <laughs> yep, lots of ham, chilling on the beach. Do you have a favorite Thanksgiving side or main dish? I, I would normally say mac and cheese, but I have mac and cheese at other like meals. So Thanksgiving specific, I would say deviled eggs. Ooh, mm. Good pick. I like that. Nice. Gotta go with mashed potatoes, man. Mm. Love me. Classic. Love me some taters. Always solid. Um, For me, it's a toss up between green bean casserole, which I know is like kind of an abomination of just processed food into a big gloopy <laughs> mass but it is delicious uh it's so either that or about three years ago now i discovered the most amazing sweet potato casserole recipe that's got mm. like butter and like vanilla extract and there's a crust of like roasted uh pecans on top of it oh that's uh, good and it's just delicious. Like it's sweet, it's savory, and it's got the crunch. It's like everything you could possibly want um, for like a nice like texture, flavor, like contrast. So that might be actually my favorite. Well, on today's episode, we are going to be talking about the unicorn or dead horse uh, that mm-hmm. is Mission Impossible 2. So we will be comparing this just to the first film. Uh, to determine if it is a worthwhile sequel or not. And we'll obviously get into it in detail. Uh, we'll also be drawing a side quest, as is our usual want. But first, I want to know what you guys uh, have been watching, because it's been a couple of weeks. And over the holidays, I know sometimes a lot of stuff gets watched. So uh, what's everyone been watching? Everyone been watching, excuse me. <laughs> well, as we were just chatting about uh, before hitting the record button, uh, I went to go see Glass Onion, and I could not think of a better follow-up to the first Knives Out. Like it, it blew me away. I, I mean, I, I, I love Ryan Johnson, and I really love Janelle Monae, but just everyone in the cast just knocked it out of the park, and the story was was really good. Um, I think I, I was gonna say I think you'll be happily surprised, but you'll be you'll be happy and surprised. Let me put it that way. <laughs> that's great to hear is, is it mm-hmm. still kind of a whodunit e, or is it like a little bit of a different vibe it's a little bit of a different vibe I would say mm, I, I don't think this is a spoiler but I, I would say it's less of a whodunit in a traditional sense and more of a whodunit in like a clue sense mm-hmm. gotcha it seems that to be kind fun. of a heavy motif but yeah it's great and uh i watched it with a forced intermission from a fire alarm which was very interesting (laughs) so even uh having to take a break 15 minutes in because there are alarms breaking it was still a great experience it's good to hear yeah that's a little frustrating when it's interrupted but at least it wasn't 
somebody uh doing improvised jokes or uh and it happened at the exact moment there was a fire alarm in the film so you know it, it was just part of the experience viral marketing it's just so people get curious and like go see the movie uh, and feel immersed <laughs> <laughs> very cool um well anything interesting on your plate good sir I had to finish up Andor, man. That was Ooh. that was what how I I wrapped up the weekend, um, and it was definitely it did not disappoint. I was really like I I think uh, I understand the hype as to why people think this is like the best Star Wars series, and I agree. So without any details or spoilers, I would just recommend if you liked Rogue One, you should definitely check out Andor. Not quite done yet. But I yep. think I'm like four episodes away, I, you know, with kind of the intention of wanting to to binge it uh, sometime soon here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, what I've seen, I would agree. I think it is excellent and highly recommended as well. Yeah. It focuses more on the kind of inner workings of the rebellion, right? Mm-hmm. It's like the genesis yep. almost of the rebellion, right? Like, would you say like you're seeing like where they source their equipment and get their money from and also the Empire, too. I think like they do a great mm-hmm. job showing you like the bureaucratic side of the empire so not just like sith lords and military commanders like you you get like a really i don't know it, it felt like a i don't know the verisimilitude was there in a way that i don't think i've felt in star wars um maybe ever yeah there was kind of a nod to the bureaucracy in some of the original trilogy sure yeah i yep. mean they, they definitely mention it like you know um this goes into a deep, deep old dive, and um, I, yeah, I don't know. I've just had a fantastic time with it. I, I think it's also just it helps that like there's no Jedi's or Skywalkers or other stuff kind of like around the ankle of the show. Like mm-hmm. they just they kind of go for it and tell their own story with characters that you still know, like or at least like with like Andor himself, but um. They let they let everything else breathe and kind of develop and do its own thing. So, uh, let's see. So I have watched officially half of the Rings of Power. I don't know what people are talking about. That show is great. Uh, as yes. a, I would say like medium Tolkien nerd. So like I consider myself medium because I have read like the big books. So like The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, Cimmerillion. And I love the films. Um, I don't know what anyone's talking about. I I, I think the show is fantastic. Uh, the episodes are a little longer, like at like an hour mm-hmm. ten a piece. Um, so I could see like length being something um, of an issue, depending on what your tolerance is for that. But I I've really really had a good time with it. I watched it with my mom and brother, who are also both big fans of the the films, and they also agree. Like we like every night like sat down to watch an episode. So uh, I do recommend that. I feel like Lord of the Rings, I hope it gets a uh, second season. I feel like with how much they spent on the first, they probably have to at least give one more season before they pull the plug on it. Yeah. Uh, I showed my mom everything everywhere all at once. My br- and my brother. And um, she went from like almost piecing out when somebody gets beat to de- death with two sex toys uh, <laughs> to crying at the end so i felt like it was mission success there uh, <laughs> i was like just wait and she was like what are you talking like she's like you you were telling me how emotional this movie is like this is silly and ridiculous and i was like just 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 come on it's, it's disarming you right now 
with a couple <laughs> of sex toys. Uh, <laughs> um my brother also liked it uh as well so that was that was kind of nice to like show something like take a little bit of a a chance with something that i wasn't sure i was gonna land um and then uh kind of the last thing we watched uh not really a thanksgiving movie but it worked somehow was raising arizona um that we brought my stepdad into the fold because i knew he was not gonna like everything everywhere all at once so we watched raising arizona which uh it's just great that's a just a wonderful movie so that is it for for old Waterman here. <laughs> Let's go ahead and draw a side quest, shall we? Let's see what we get. Here we go. Ah, I don't think we've had this one. So our prompt is, if you film it, they will come. So talk talk about a movie you knew was there simply to do fan service. And let's talk about whether or not you thought it stuck the landing. Well. <laughs> Every Fast and Furious sequel that's come out in the last <laughs> five years. <laughs> I feel like that's low-hanging fruit, though. I know. That's why I laughed. That's... I'm like, this is too easy. <laughs> I, I have a non-Marvel one, if you guys want. Oh, sweet. Yeah, yes, go for okay so this this one is literally fan service because there's no way this would have been made if it didn't just have a huge rabid fan base but the 50 shades of gray movies uh, <laughs> yeah. oh yeah because that i don't know if you know the history but i did a deep dive on this one because <laughs> it's just so wild i i haven't read the books but if you ever try to read a little bit of them, you'll be astonished at the fact that they were like bestsellers and published by a big publishing house because they are basically unedited uh, fan fiction, just pulled straight from serial forums uh, of none other than Twilight. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, Which is fine. If you like that story, that's great. But the thing is, um i'm blanking on her name but like the creator behind it just really really could not let go of any degree of creative control and really was butting heads constantly with the director of the first 50 shades of gray movie which i maintain is a decent movie it has flaws but it it, you know (laughs) it's like a solid b maybe b minus in my book oh Um, okay the, the others are a train wreck, and that's because she insisted that that director get replaced with a friend of hers that was basically just her yes man. And it just went mm-hmm. completely off the rails for the last two movies and was very true to the book, but in a bad way. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you have to make creative choices when you're adapting from one medium to the other. Speaking of Lord of the Rings, I think that's a great example of... Maybe we shouldn't spend what would be 45 minutes of screen time like talking about the plan for the ring. They like condense that down into like a very short segment. But continue. Uh, do you have any examples like because now my curiosity is peaked of where oh, do it I? Went sideways? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, there's there's just like a lot of like little weird lines. Like the the author has this like a like a very specific thing against blondes for instance and just like weird stereotypes based on hair color like as a person that like comes through her writing and like the the director smartly cut that in the first film but they lean into it in the other films and it's just really bizarre um there's also like more important structural things 
like introducing a weird ex stalker character in the third film that has never appeared in any other film um and just just things things like that it's just very messy the scenes don't really make sense like they're characters that are introduced just because they're named in the book and then nothing happens with them and they're never seen again but they get like a long introduction in the film you mean yeah oh boy so that's like the cardinal sin i feel like is to introduce and spend valuable screen time on a character that doesn't really move the plot forward or add anything like thematically and then never see them again like yeah like that that's a big no-no yeah it's just it's it's bizarre again i i will say first 50 shades a great decent movie the other two complete fan service um and if hey if you really really love the books maybe you love those movies too but if you're coming in as someone who hasn't read the books it's uh, a nightmare. I got through it just by playing a drinking game. <laughs> the only <laughs> way I could recommend it. <laughs> that's the way to go. Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> um, I have never read the books nor seen the films, but I do have a funny story. Uh, I heard a snippet of an audiobook because I used to work at um our concierge service, like for works. So I was a property appraiser for a while for automobiles, and this was like a center that's no longer open where customers could drive their vehicles in and under an hour we would have an estimate you know um done for them and we could print out checks and all that stuff it was nice and convenient uh in any event a customer left her radio on um or her like more specifically her cd player i guess she had gotten them from the library or something and there was a extremely raunchy part of the book that was oh no playing like i got into the car to like drive it back around the front and i was like oh my god like <laughs> and so i turned <laughs> off the power and then i saw the look on her face when she went to get into the car like oh no <laughs> like didn't he hear my book and i allowed her to maintain her dignity by making probably thinking that she had actually like turned off the radio when she had in fact not so um if you live in the Jacksonville area and that story sounds familiar, like let us know. I'd love to know who that was. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, that was very funny though. Um, the thing is, it's not like, again, I didn't read the books. I only watched the films. So maybe the books are raunchier, but like it's supposed to be like this dark BDSM fantasy, but it's very vanilla through and through. And all the stuff that's supposed to be BDSM is like very wrongly presented compared to the actual community. Sure, interesting yeah. but um, marianne calls it uh mommy porn or like soccer yeah, mom porn basically yeah <laughs> have, have you seen the soccer mom porn will <laughs> nope that has not come across uh my, my uh viewing roster um just heard about it and i haven't I haven't read the books haven't seen the film so can't uh i can't have an opinion about it <laughs> you're just like my hands are clean of this discussion <laughs> <laughs> they're clean now might change in the future but uh, <laughs> as of this recording they're clean that does seem like it would be a fun uh drinking game like party though i don't know if the triple feature you'd probably be wrecked by the end but certainly like <laughs> oh we a had film or two it- I watched it with my girlfriends in college and we like had a few movie nights that we spread it, spread the trilogy across. Um, but I, I'll have to like go find the drinking game because the, the things on it are hilarious and send it to you guys. It'll, it, that'll give you a good picture of the movie without seeing it, just seeing what's on the drinking game list. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe I'll post them on the, um, you know, like a little screenshot, like over there. 
There you um, go. So we can so you can see the rules. Um, great idea. There you go. You're, there's your next movie night sorted, audience members. Uh, have have a couple and uh, watch Fifty Shades of Grey, and then I know it's Fifty Shades Darker, and I have no clue. Fifty what the, Shades uh... Freed, which is a very and... misleading title. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Roger that. <laughs> uh and without awesome. further ado let's let's move from one cinematic masterpiece to another and talk about <laughs> <laughs> mission impossible 2 so we'll take it away since this was your uh your, your selection sure well and i think that it's interesting sort of the trajectory like how like the really like deep like criterion collection films that we were like let's watch you know stellaris and stalker and now Let's talk about Fifty Shades and Mission Impossible. <laughs> we have range as a group here, all right? It's true. We're not, hey, we're not pigeonholed into one particular thing. That's why it's yeah. good. We um, actually did put good thought into that uh, that list when we curated it. We wanted this kind of insanity, <laughs> so I promise this is very intentional. <laughs> yep. Oh, and there's a reason why I chose MI2, man, because, uh, well, and for, like, as much as I in like I'm looking forward to how much you guys either did or didn't like it for various reasons. Like I think I'm going to enjoy most of this discussion, just comparing it not only to the original film, but also if you even wanted to talk about like how the original film kind of had its its shaky moments. Like there were people that weren't a fan of the first one uh when it came out. And so I feel like MI2, whether you think it was a good course correction or not definitely had a course correction when it came out but uh i guess i could go ahead and just kind of recap both just for the sake of it so like spoiler alert friendly spoiler alert to our listeners that as usual we'll be talking about some some plot points uh from the film that may may uh inadvertently give away a little bit too much of the story depending on what you may have seen but the uh the first mission to possible which came out back in 96 from what I recall, tried to be relatively faithful to the source material. So, I mean, you have like the classic theme song from it that that plays at the beginning and like those moments where the action starts to pick up. Um, you got like the flashes of what's going to happen in the beginning with the with the credits about uh, certain scenes that are going to be, gonna be uh, pivotal, I guess, later in the storyline. Um, you've got the character Jim Phelps, who was played by John Voight. Uh, who was kind of like the main point guy from the show. Um, and then, of course, like the classic uh, mission briefings and spycraft and the face swapping and all that stuff that used to be like par for the course back in the TV series. Um, and the original Mission Impossible film deviates, I'd say, the most from that TV show when like the entire team at the beginning of the film, practically the entire team at the beginning of the film gets killed on a mission to try and stop um this uh nefarious uh agent that was looking to try and obtain a cia knock list um and which had the identities or could be used to find the identities of other covert agents around the world and so after the team gets knocked off uh ethan hunt who's played by tom cruise like the only guy that we think has made it out uh is then deemed to be this mole in the agency that uh the imf had been looking into and the just for clarity's sake the imf which is the main agency in mission impossible is is the impossible missions force um and so they're pursuing him or attempting to pursue him through the rest of the film while he's trying to figure out what happened to his team and eventually comes to find out that jim phelps who's uh the leader of the team in the film as well uh, along with his wife claire 
was the one who set everybody up. And then the movie culminates in what feels like a James Bond escape plan off the top of a high speed rail train, uh, which is exciting, but also like probably not the best choice of, you know, jumping ship. So, uh, and you know what, truthfully, with the James Bond sort of segue there, it's not too far off because I feel like Mission Impossible 2 is where they went full on Tom Cruise is trying to be James Bond now or Ethan Hunt is trying to be James Bond. And maybe some of that makes sense. I mean, to some extent, when Mission Impossible came out originally and James Bond was also, or I mean, films were going out around the same time. That was all very much like Cold War and that whole espionage and, you know, trying to outsmart your enemy uh, and mind games. And then around the 90s, that wasn't so much of a thing anymore. And there's even a little bit of commentary about that in the first Mission Impossible film that is kind of reflective of uh, what goes on in the James Bond movie Goldeneye, where it's sort of taking a look at what it used to stand for and maybe not really what it, it's needed in in that time and so it's it's unfortunate that that's kind of the way that they went because a lot of people weren't too thrilled about you know the mind game it wasn't as is sort of chess matchy as the tv show was it was more actiony and you had a traitor in the imf who was like a long-standing character and so then when mi2 came out it was like even farther away from the original you know you've got tom cruise is like the main guy out front everybody else is kind of backseat you know, bench warmer characters that you may see for a little bit, but the team isn't really as solid of a thing anymore. It's just covering Tom Cruise's butt while he's going around doing stuff. Um, and we also get to see how he's very much an adrenaline junkie, like the opening sequence of Moab where he's just hanging from his hands on the side of a cliff, you know, jumping 15 feet across it, hanging on his fingertips. Like, I think there was only like one safety harness when that was involved. And... <clears throat> that sort of set it up for like all the sequels that we've seen where Tom Cruise likes to do all this daredevil stuff but it was like that was that sort of set the tone for the rest of MI2 where it was like this is not the Mission Impossible that we saw in the last one uh but so there's plenty of over-the-top action which is very much in keeping with John Woo who was the director of the second film um including some of his like signature trademarks for that action which we could talk about but uh very James Bondy uh where Ethan Hunt is put in charge of trying to find this rogue IMF agent who is attempting to obtain this uh, lab engineered virus. It's like super Ebola, basically called Chimera and release it on the population of Sydney, Australia. And so there's a lot of action. And by the end of it, Ethan stops, you know, the release of the virus gets the girl, kills the bad guy after a very unnecessarily prolonged bro fight on the beach, I might add. But uh, there's a little witty repartee with Anthony Hopkins at the very end. For the sake, we'll just call him the Mission Impossible version of M from James Bond. Um, and that's that's pretty much it in a nutshell. But, uh, but I guess before we dive into general impressions, um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I think that was pretty much it. I know that, you know, that in some ways after mi2 i mean mi2 did really well at the box office when it came out but it's sort of always been looked at as the black sheep of the franchise um and i think that's why there was a little bit of a hiatus between that and when jj abrams tried to come in and breathe life into a, you know a third installment and, and revitalize the franchise but even when that you know when mi3 came out 
Um, and this is extraneous, I know, to our, our judgment here on MIT, but when MI3 came out, um, it wasn't as much of a hit at the box office. It could have been because of MI2, um, and, or it could have been because Tom Cruise was really hitting hard on that Scientology leading up to it. You know, who knows? But I think that um, in some ways there are elements of this film that sort of influenced where the franchise continued to go afterwards and which may or may not be what you think is or will help you determine on how you feel about the film as a whole in the franchise. But now that I have talked everybody's ear off about it, let's get to general impressions. So, uh, Chris, I think you had said that you had seen the first one. Did you did you see the second one or was this your first time for it? Oh, no. Yeah, I've seen the second one uh, many times. So this came nice. out when I was in seventh grade, I think. Mm. Um, so I saw it at the theaters twice uh and i've seen it a couple times since like i think when i made the plunge to see four five and six which i hadn't seen like i, I kind of started back at the beginning because i wanted to get a sense of like how how does this franchise evolve like how, how does it go from where it starts to to there and it's a very interesting exercise but yes i've seen it so general uh, impressions on how you how you feel about it just overall or that stuck <laughs> out to you going back to watch it again um yeah so i i sat down to record this podcast prepare to say that i think this movie's dog shit um but i don't i don't think that's entirely fair i think it's just dog shit for a mission impossible movie so um I, look i john woo's style is like singular you know that hong kong action style i just i wonder how i'd feel about this movie if it was like maybe different actors and not a mission impossible film i think there's a good movie in here um somewhere and it has some really great sequences. That opening that you kind of referenced uh, with the free climbing still like made my palms sweaty. And it's because I have a you know petrifying fear of heights, but um, I think it's effective. And I love all the homages to Notorious. Like this, um, the whole plot of this is like a ripoff of the Hitchcock film Notorious. Um, or maybe I shouldn't say ripoff. It, it pays loving homage. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, and the stylized action is like fun and funny like like it's enjoyable like from an over like god there's so much spinning so much spinning unnecessary spinning when people are shooting i know it's to avoid <laughs> bullets and stuff but whoa um but it, i find that stuff enjoyable i just i think in the mission impossible package it doesn't really work for me and i think this is by far the worst mission impossible movie um, I actually contrasted because I watched one as well. I think apart from a couple of key things, one of which uh, May referenced on her Twitter account, uh, that movie's largely held up. Uh, it does feel very 90s, like in some of the special effects and things like that. But as far as 90s action fair goes, like I think it's above average. Like, you know, um, I wouldn't say it's like the greatest. There's, you know, a lot of uh, competition there. But um, I feel like this movie... Uh, I don't know. We'll just put, I'll, I'll leave you with this. Like it opens with a Limp Biscuit rendition of the Mission Impossible theme. And that is about all you need to know about how this thing is aged really largely, so, <laughs> in my opinion. But I'm interested to hear what May thinks now. <laughs> I'm going to have to disagree with everything you've said, Chris. <laughs> everything. Ooh. Everything. Huh? Mission Impossible Two is amazing. <laughs> I kid, but I do. So, having not seen the first Mission Impossible before, this is my first time viewing for both one and two. I did see. I think it was Ghost Protocol, like when it came out. Um, 
And that was like my first Mission Impossible movie. I don't think I really like Mission Impossible movies. So like it's a it's it's kind of a low bar for me regardless. Um nice. and yeah, I just I really did not like the first one. And I felt like the second was kind of a parody of itself in a way that <laughs> actually really worked for me. Uh <laughs> I found it very entertaining. <laughs> um <laughs> yeah, I I actually liked it a lot. I will say I did like kind of zone out towards the end when it was like 20 minutes of just straight action and uh motorcycle chases and stuff. Um but overall, like I felt like the second actually had a good number of strengths the first didn't. Like I thought the first one's plot was overly convoluted whereas like yeah, there's a lot of drag in the second movie, but at least I could follow exactly what the stakes were and what was happening very easily. And I also felt like the acting uh, was better in the second one in a lot of ways. Nice. Not great. I'm just going to say better. Better. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> Can I just say that I am really excited this is how this turned out? Because I honestly <laughs> thought everybody's going to be like, this movie sucks, but this is great. <laughs> yeah awesome. what do you think will yeah so yeah. i'm gonna have to play like devil's advocate because when this movie came out i was like oh this soundtrack is dope not limp biscuit i apologize to limp biscuit fans but <laughs> all you i mean like chris said you listen to the it's just it's not mission impossible man you know it's it's the it's like the the rock version and the rock version doesn't do it for me so um and it's not as if you watch the music video, it's not as bad as Snakes on a Plains was, but it's not great. So we'll leave it at that. But yeah, like um, when it came out, I was like, this is not I think I didn't like it because I didn't like the fact that it was trying so hard to be James Bond. I missed the fact that it wasn't trying to be more of a team effort. So, I mean, you have like Luther, who's the computer guy, and you've got Billy, who's the helicopter pilot. But you know they're so they're so put into the background where their parts are are relevant but just not enough that i felt like it was a team anymore and i just it was just so much tom cruise that i think i just sort of i, I got on tilt about that but like chris said if you if, for, if you sit back and you just look at this as just like this has no tie at all to like classic mission impossible then you're just like hell yeah all right i'll just watch it for the action man you know it's like the hans zimmer soundtrack which strangely enough sounds like gladiator at one point and then sounds like <laughs> the little like interlude synth sounds i heard in equilibrium at one point i'm just like i'm getting flashes to other movies and don't forget the wailing guitar do that <laughs> like yes oh like, my rocks out a little. and i didn't mind that i think the zimmer zimmer soundtrack's pretty good yeah um and there was some you know you mentioned metallica had a song on the uh soundtrack yeah, that did. was good and Chris Cornell did um, a version of Have a Cigar by Pink Floyd on the soundtrack. Yeah. So anyway, sorry so to interrupt. Oh, no, you're good. I mean, and we're going to get I, I would love to tie back to the music here in a minute, because that was that was one of the things that just stood. I was like, this was very much like we're this was a different feel for it. And so in some ways, I liked it for like the action and the the different idea that they wanted to go with it because they wanted to make it look all sleek and cool and Tom Cruise being like this over the top ridiculous action star. Um, but then I think I just got on tilt after a while because I was trying too hard to try and like ground it more in Mission Impossible, classic Mission Impossible, and it just felt weird to me at 
at some point. So I would go back time and again, just because I wanted to watch like the sequence, like the action sequences, or I wanted to listen to the music. But beyond that, I was just like, this is, this could have been done better. So I had hopes when MI3 came out. Um, and I feel like that was really course corrected back to like doing like a team as the focus behind trying to get the, I mean, Tom Cruise is always going to be the adrenaline junkie. He's always going to have the ridiculous stunts. Like you could see some of that later in the motorcycle chases, like you were talking about in ghost protocol or what he's like scaling the, was it the Burj Khalifa? And so it's, that's always going to be a thing, man. Um, and I think that they've found a better like balance in that, but yeah, when this first came out, I was just like, man, this is, this is something else. So I love it and I hate it at the same time. It's weird. I have to be in the right mood. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much it. But yeah, you hit the nail um, on the head. I think like this movie to me is a gross overcorrection mm-hmm. from the first one, which is like kind of a straightforward espionage thriller with like a couple of action sequences. I think yeah. the that like fulcrum that they find with four, five, and six is why I like them because you have the team again. And mm-hmm. you got people like, um, oh gosh, Simon Pegg and yeah. uh, is it Jeremy Renner and stuff like that. And some great um, other like, you know, guest stars, I'll call them, I guess, for like movies here and there. I think you could argue before you move on to your next topic that mm-hmm. three is actually the worst of these movies. And I want to go watch that now because I was so underwhelmed when I saw it. I wonder if this movie would have moved up a slot for me just because it is like fucking entertaining and wild. Um, mm-hmm. three felt like it's just an extraordinary squandering of talent with JJ Abrams and Philip Seymour Hoffman. Like I, I, and granted, I saw that like 10 years after release for the first time. And I was just like, woof, man, like this movie is kind of a wet fart of a film and that like, <laughs> it doesn't do anything particularly well. It doesn't do anything poorly, but like this, at least two commits to like what the hell it is like full force. So <laughs> props for that, I guess. This is just a, this might be a hot take for J.J. Abrams fans, but I feel like he tries to do stuff safe. He tries to do what's worked well, and he wants to, like, hit that nostalgia factor every time he tries to reboot a franchise. And so that's why a lot of stuff, it's like, yeah, it's it feels like it, but it's just not, like you said, Chris, it's just not memorable. It's not going to stand out as like, that's the film I want to go see in the franchise. Um, I think that it did a good job of trying to lay the ground again, also very classic JJ, like we want to lay the groundwork for what's going to come later. So I think that it did kind of course correct back in the right direction. But yeah, again, it was it was a little bumpy. So but I digress about MI3. But yeah, so I sort of talked a little bit about the music because I know that in the first one, we've got more of the traditional um, the scoring, like the the TV series with the the original theme. And you've got much more of that sort of spy espionage kind of, you know, vibe going on. And then in the second one, you've just got like, it's just rock. It's just like we're in for the action and the leather and the, and the shades like, you know, Tom's wearing over here on the screen. If you if you're watching our YouTube channel and yeah so just any additional i guess any additional thoughts about how the the music may or may not have played to how you you took in the film and may i'll I'll kick it back over to you next on that it's gonna sound kind of bad but the music was like a good like signal for me of like oh i should be paying attention now because when scenes were dragging i'd start looking at my phone and then you hear that guitar and i'm like oh shit something's happening Oh, Shit's great. about to go down. <laughs> exactly. 
who's gonna get shot <laughs> what about you chris <laughs> um yeah i enjoy the score a lot and like i said let biscuit aside um the soundtrack was one of those things that was like a hot album for the summer uh and i, I was wrong with foo fighters that covered have a cigar just to correct myself but chris cornell was on the soundtrack but um I feel like this is like the last of that era where like really good like soundtracks like to movies that like like pop music and rock and stuff like it's not really much of a thing anymore is it like I mean mm. once in a while you'll get a little bit of it like but um like Top Gun Maverick had a couple of songs by like Lady Gaga and uh was it like One Direction or something but like One Direction now that's not the right band anyway um <laughs> I'd so be I kind shocked of... <laughs> What's the other band that sound it has a name like that? Um, I don't know if you guys have seen Maverick yet, but um, cool. anyway, uh, it, like I missed that era, and so it was kind of nice to have a, a bit like of uh, nostalgia there. But I, I liked. It. I thought that the, the music really complemented what this movie was. So you again, you had the wailing guitars, you had some swelling orchestral music, and Hans Zimmer's just the man. You know, like he's. Uh, he makes good music. Um, yep. Inception notwithstanding. <laughs> wow. uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and even that, I suppose, is fine. But uh, no, I, I I enjoyed it. I guess moving on from that, then the other classic thing that comes up a lot in Mission Impossible uh, is just all the gadgets. You know, very also kind of like James Bond, but in a different way. I guess a lot of it was always like who they were going to portray and pretend to be in the, the like the face reveal was always like a big deal yeah. um and so it whether it's the i mean it's pretty consistent even in the films which is a pleasant surprise but um i just thought it was interesting how in this one it seemed a lot more like it was just i don't know i i found it interesting like thinking about like the sort of the camera trickery that you would do with how you like superimpose like just the little reveal because most of it just seemed very smooth to me watching the second one um and even the nice little touch where it's like oh yeah their voice changed so they have that little like piece on their neck that little piece of uh technology that modulates their voice when they're impersonating somebody so i just thought that was that was uh entertaining and clever um was there anything in terms of either the face swapping or the gadgetry that stood out to you um in the second one whether or not that influenced your thoughts as it may or may not have pertained to the first one that was a very convoluted way to phrase that question so just in terms <laughs> of gadgets and face reveals uh how did you feel like that may or may not have influenced the second one in your opinion for better or worse I, i'm picking up what you're putting down will don't worry <laughs> <laughs> um i i wish the second had more gadgets i feel like they were mm more central to the first one for sure and i think that again was part of it moving to be like action with guns and motorcycles and rappelling a lot and <laughs> stuff like that um but yeah the the thing that stood out to me was obviously the the, the exploding glasses that the uh, film kind of opens with <laughs> um as well as i i have to appreciate the fact that they took Basically a syringe, which is, uh, you know what, honestly a scary enough implement and redesigned it as a gun mm. yeah. <laughs> for administering the scary virus. I thought that was some clever, clever design work. What about you, yeah, Chris? I, Any... I oh, sorry, appreciate man. the evolution. No, no, you're fine, man. I appreciate the evolution of the face swapping because you can actually 
have anybody look like anybody versus like Tom Cruise just happens to be impersonating a senator that looks exactly like him in old man makeup. Like, yeah, oh, that shit killed yes. me. I was like, oh my god, because uh, and I, I think they you know wanted it to be like um believable or something so i yeah i think the way they handled it was great it was very smooth um the voice modulation a great touch too because then you you can basically have an excuse for why they don't sound like them themselves they're not just doing a shitty tom cruise impression in other words um this film lacks severely in gadgets gadgets are basically things that tom cruise rolls against the wall and shoots with his gun and they go boom (laughs) like that is the extent of gadgets in this movie and he does that a lot uh, I also learned that any canister in this movie is liable to have explosive substance. There's just a thing that says hazard waste at one point. And he's just like, bam. Oh. It's like, like, that just could be sewage. Like, but nope, it blows <laughs> up. So good to know the rules of, uh, of John Woo um, are persistent through all his movies. Um, yeah. But I, I was missing that. Like, I think um, one of the strongest scenes in the original is obviously the heist, like in the vaults, like all that was very, very cool and, and neat. And in subsequent films, we see some really interesting tech and things that are used to pretty great effect in the scenes. But it's, I suppose, just the the style of the film. It's not really like that. I do want to point out as one last point that uh, they had like the worst discrete binoculars with these giant red, like almost lasers on the side of it. I was like, Jesus, that is not discrete at all. Like they're looking around and there's a huge red light like on the sides of their binoculars. So, um, you know, uh, you, you, you lose some points, I think for discretion there um, when you have a big blinking light on the side of your binoculars, but sneaky, sneaky. Can't tell what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. I, I did. I, I agree with you. I missed the gadgets, like the sort of the, the more of the covert espionage elements of the first or even from the tv series to some extent i do think it's funny thinking about how tom cruise did in the first one reminded me i feel like in the tv show it's very similar to that just because of the technology at the time it was the person who was pretending to be like whoever they were going to try and impersonate they also played and so like the voices sound similar and the, you know, everything's sort of lined up. So it sort of helped with the believability and to watch that in the first film was kind of a nice little nod to that at the same time that it is sort of it, by those standards, then it's, that's a little corny and even, and especially now, like going back and watching it, you're just like, yeah, huh, that's, yeah, that's definitely Tom Cruise. <laughs> but um yeah when they try to and even when they when in the second one where they try and do that and almost like turn it a little bit and have somebody impersonate uh ethan hunt i thought was kind of cool to do it that way um but also just kind of weird too that it sets up this in a in a tangential way of answering this question about gadgets i feel like it's interesting how in the tv or in the um in the films at least it's like the villain typically has or one of the villains if it's not the main one somebody has like defected from imf there's always like somebody who's like i'm done with this business or i wanted to make a profit so i just used it to my own advantage <laughs> and so like dang man like i don't know who they're hiring but they got to work on that like it's it is wild how that just comes back up like repeatedly but I guess that's sort of like my gripe with uh, the gripe I had with MI1 was sort of the gripe that I had with like some of these sequels and other franchises where you have like the disenfranchised, like the older guy who just didn't like the job anymore. And he used to be your hero. 
but he's just like screw this i'm so done with these people <laughs> and just like rage quits and decides to take the whole company down like it's really it's unfortunate but that is uh there you there you have it but yeah but gadget wise yeah i agree i wish i wish we had a little bit more tech but i feel like that's sort of where it came into play later with um like when simon Pegg comes on when his character is involved and more you get a little bit more with luther that gets involved with it too so that's nice to see that they they went back to that i guess in some ways maybe they were trying to not be completely like james bond since james bond's whole shtick was always like going to q to get like the magic you know like the pin or the laser and the watch or the bomb that's gonna you know go off and so maybe in some ways it was like we want to be we want to have the same kind of like the essence of mission impossible and still do like this action movie without having to rely too much on that um but yeah interesting to see if it would have been done differently like what they might have changed with that if it had been less 90s action or even 2000s i guess for that but because watching this film to me almost feels more like the rock or or like um i guess top gun in some respects you know it's it, kind of to may's point too like it's not taking itself completely seriously and so it's it's almost in that way of poking fun at itself to have more fun with the franchise then maybe that's why that was like another thing that just wasn't really needed was to have the, the extra little gadgetry in there are we going to uh, consider pigeons gadgets? Because if so, then I mean, yeah, or a dove uh, that comes out of nowhere, yeah, yeah, <laughs> through the, the exploding like door, yeah, yep. Uh, yep, yeah, yeah. I do think that it's funny off of that too, just randomly, and we can cut this part, but off of the whole hazardous waste exploding, uh, there's it's like every time a car hits another car, if it's the bad guy's car and he rams into another car, then it automatically it has to explode like that's the law of of the that's like commando like the law of like schwarzenegger films it's got to blow up <laughs> if you hit the gas tank with a bullet that thing's gonna ignite yeah <laughs> i choose to believe with the dove that that was a mad like a magician's grenade and it had like a little pocket on the side for the dove so it just flew out with the explosion <laughs> <laughs> yeah I like to think that Tom Cruise keeps them up his sleeve so he can disperse them for intimidation. <laughs> like Job from fucking Arrested Development or something. Yes. Speaking of Arrested Development, I don't know why, but I was just, I was thinking a lot about Gene Parmesan for some reason. <laughs> well, it's because like the reveal, you could definitely superimpose Gene! Ah! Isn't he the best? <laughs> Every time the mask off. comes off, I'm thinking about Gene. <laughs> All right. Uh, there's a little editing project for myself. I have enough time. I've got to go ahead. Yeah, and you can keep that in there. It's good. Gotta, no, I, yeah, I've got to clip that. Uh, got to yeah. do a clip of somebody doing it and just throw in some Jessica Walter uh, RIP for, for yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I guess the next part. Uh, before we get into anything else that you guys want to talk about, the next thing that really came to mind was, and I've sort of beaten this horse dead already but the um i guess the team aspects from the first one to this one even like the team aspect from losing a team in the in the first film to not losing a team thankfully in this one even though there's like a couple close calls where they make you think that maybe somebody's gonna die um the second film felt very much well in the, on the one hand at least to me on the one hand it felt less about the team aspects it also felt like the stakes for anybody not making it were not 
they didn't feel like anybody was in danger let me rephrase that it felt then sort of like that action movie trope where it was like everybody's going to be okay we're just going to have a lot of shoot them up you know action in between point a and point z but i was curious what you guys thought about how whether you thought it worked or not um whether you liked how the the team aspect changed from the first to the second film and uh and chris i'll go ahead and, and throw it over to you they felt like um exposition tools to me more than like fleshed out characters like a way to basically track where somebody was or what was going on so that the audience is getting a little more information than ethan which give which can kind of create a little bit of suspense in those moments and again, like I know I'm using a little bit of like foresight of what comes after this as well as hindsight of what came before. But like I really, really like the team in the subsequent movies and they do feel central to the plot. And they have their own stories and histories and things that factor into why they're doing what they're doing. That being said, I love seeing Bing Rames back like um, yeah. he's just amazing. Mm-hmm. He's got one of the best voices like ever. Um, so happy to see him back, but not used to the full potential, certainly. I will actually agree with Chris on this one. Uh, <laughs> um, I I liked in the first one the fact that, I mean, the whole story is about a mole and not being able to trust people. And the team oh, never felt very secure. It felt like there was always a risk of backstabbing. And um, obviously that came true. But uh the precarity and the fact that there was an individual focus to a degree i think they did claire wrong unfortunately but um there was a personality or at least like some individuality granted to most of the team in the first one um that we didn't really get with the second one and i do think that is one of the bigger flaws of the film i'm pretty much the same way I miss the I miss the team, but also it felt kind of rough about how the the team got got treated in the first one. Like and especially too, like you had like some pretty big name actors that were in it. I mean, it was oh, of course I say that, and then I like completely blank on the name of who I was going to mention. But I'm thinking Emilio about, Estevez. Hey, yeah, Mighty Ducks, my dude, all the way. <laughs> Love that Air Breakfast Club, obviously too. Uh, but yeah, Emilio Estevez is the tech guy. Kristen Scott Thomas, who shows up for all of like two minutes um and yeah and then it's like the whole team gets whacked and i'm just like what and especially how emilio goes out man like dude that is oh it was meant to be shocking because those are like top build actors so again hard to like you know to like we're talking jesus what like almost 30 years ago now that movie came out um you know it maybe not as big of a surprise because a lot of those people aren't as active as they were, but that was really shot. Like I remember the discussions around that, you know, as a, like a, even a kid, it resonated with me, like watching that mm-hmm. with my parents and then being like, Whoa, like all the, the, like everyone's all the stars are gone, you know, except for Tom. Um, so yeah. I think it's a cool trick. Maybe not one that's dated as well. <laughs> Just because, yeah maybe see it coming a little more than you would have uh, when it first released. That's pretty much all the main points that I had that I wanted to make sure we talked about, but I'm interested to hear if there's anything else from either film, I guess primarily from the second one, that influenced your thought on how it went in the franchise, what you wish might have been a little bit different, or just any and all thoughts that you had um, that we haven't covered yet. And May, I'll I'll kick it over to you. I guess we haven't said this explicitly, but it is extremely tropey as, as a film. Mm-hmm. Um, that ranges from like all of the action tropes 
to the kind of like James Bond tropes um, and gadgetry and stuff. And I'm just I'm just trying to think like if 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 there is anything original in the film. <laughs> And I'm having trouble coming up with something. <laughs> <laughs> when did uh, uh yeah, when did Gladiator and Equilibrium come out? Before or after? And that'll answer my thought on the music. And then <laughs> <laughs> I think Equilibrium was after because I was okay, also so... comparing notes because I was like, wait a second, I'm getting <laughs> getting, getting some vibes. vibes. Yes. <laughs> it's the gung yeah. fu, baby. Yep. So I feel like it's definitely uh that's probably the unique part about it. Uh, but yeah, I would I would agree. I'd say a lot of it. Uh, maybe some of the, so like the action sequences. So like Tom Cruise on The Rock and Moab, that's never, I mean, that was shocking. And I agree with Chris about like the, the like watching a movie and having like, an, like a reaction to the hype in the film doesn't really happen very much for me but it happened in that one and it happened in golden eye at the very end mm -hmm. and there's just certain things where i'm just like spatially i don't usually get claustrophobic like scared but that i'm just like there's there's no way i can't you know and i get i get stressed every time i watch it and so maybe that and maybe some of like the like the practical effects for some of the chases so like the like all the the work they put into like the rigging for the motorcycle chase or the explosions for how they flip the cars when they're coming around the corner and like a grenade goes off i think that was kind of cool but also again probably done before uh maybe just a different setup but i don't know chris anything along those lines that stuck out to you as far as like original concepts i do feel like this movie is very derivative i'm happy that like you know his uh 90s films brought a lot of like the sensibilities of hong kong cinema and like, hey, look, I, like I said, I saw this twice in theaters because I, I was so taken by it. And then I felt betrayed once I hit like high school and discovered John Woo like proper, like the Hong Kong John Woo. And I was like, oh, so he does all this stuff, but it's also a really interesting, like, you know, uh, police story or like crime story. And it yeah. actually has substance. And it's like, fuck. Um, well, <laughs> I, I don't feel the same about Mission Impossible 2 anymore. Mm -hmm. Um... I don't know. I mean, no, I, I, I don't know that it really needs, to, like, does it really need to be, you know, like at the end of the day, like maybe not, like, I guess th this movie does feel very comfortable in its own skin. Like, and I think that is the highest compliment and maybe the thing that uh, I haven't really fully seen until this most recent viewing is that it doesn't flinch at all. Like it, it stays the course pretty consistently like you think about that sequence where the cars are just like spinning in tandem and he like prevents her from going <laughs> off the edge by crashing into her. And like, it's utterly ridiculous, but for what it is, like if you could just like, you got to take your, you know, um, I don't know, cynicism and doubt away. It's like, okay, sure. That's, that was cool. You know, like, I think that's what this movie boils down to. It's, it's largely cool. It's not realistic, but it's cool. Yeah. Um, how about that, like midair collision from the bikes? And then they just like from their bikes, they fall off a cliff and then just start fighting. And I think you mentioned it, but I was laughing my ass off because I forgot how long that fight scene is. It yeah. rivals one of the best jokes in a John Carpenter film, which is like a, a back alley brawl that goes on for an absurd amount of time. And everybody I've ever shown that movie to has the same reaction where they start getting really annoyed 
and then yeah. you see the you see the change on their face as they realize like it's a joke like that yeah. the fight is still going <laughs> that's how that, that's how the fight on the beach felt to me and it actually got a good chuckle because i was like i wonder if he yeah. is maybe playing with the audience a little bit there like oh surely like somebody's got to go down at some point and stop but um yeah, yeah i don't know i i I, I think this movie has um, no substance, but I'm okay with it. I'm more okay than I've ever been. We'll put it that way. Cause I, I really <laughs> kind of appreciate it in a different way. So. Yeah. The, uh, I do think the tropiness works in its favor. And I think that the fact it isn't very original at all uh, helps it take itself not too seriously. It uh, makes it fun. I was, I was laughing through most of the film. I think the only part that actually like, made me uncomfortable wasn't because it was like so much action it was just like the 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 rape scene with naya and sean when he's she's like forced to undress and stuff um which is i i'm just going to say part of the reason i don't like mission impossible is the constant whiplash between like very sexist or even like rapey scenes to this like fun cool action it's like just just give me the fun cool action i just want to enjoy that on its own please yeah of course correct in some later movies but yeah sorry go ahead well no i agree i was gonna say the same thing and you're right (laughs) yeah the women in the first two films get the definite short end of the stick when it comes to not only just their own independence as a character but also just what just happens to them like why like they just get used and so it's it's frustrating to watch yeah, like especially Tom Cruise, it's kind of like going back and watching Blade Runner, and you're like, yes, <laughs> eh, yeah, come on, Decker, quit being so handsy, my dude, you know. And so like the same thing with uh, Tom Cruise, where it's like the '90s was just like we're okay with this very emotional main lead dude who's just like frisking down this like traumatized, you know, woman, or you know, for the sake of the story, pretending to be traumatized, but still, like, it's just like holy shit, dude, like what what are you doing tom come on man for the sake of just like the emotional like whatever they were going for and also maybe just as his character you know for his character and that sort of overly masculine look that they wanted for that film which again then sort of continued on with the james bond trope of then instead of being emotional he was very much like always for the most part i should say always like calm and control his hair was always perfectly you know parted you know, very little blood up until maybe the very end when you had to have like the final boss battle that went for forever. Um, yeah, I don't know. Jump it off a bike at that speed, chest bumping the other guy and then like flipping off into the sand would probably <laughs> break off something, a cliff. Really. Off a cliff. Yeah. Like they, they go not yeah. just like off their bike onto the ground. They fall off a cliff. Yeah. And then just keep punching each other. And yeah, and then yeah, when I watched it with Rachel, because we went through like a Mission Impossible thing earlier, before but like even before this, and with my wife, and she um there was one point where she we were watching that at the very end, she was like, Holy shit, like just kill the guy. <laughs> and I just laughed because it's like, you know, like when he he does it, it's like he throws the knife down, right? Like he throws the knife down, he's just gonna punch him. Like, we're just gonna duke this out, you know, and that was pretty much where she was just like, oh, this is taking so long. <laughs> <laughs> so that was that was pretty. I, you know, what? it was worth it just to hear her reaction because that made me laugh my ass off. So there Rachel, you go. If you're listening to this, thank you. You're awesome. 
But... It is. I, I do think PR movie is best watched with other people. Uh, I watched yeah. the second one just on my own this afternoon, but I watched the first one uh, last night, actually, with my brother and his boyfriend. And that was really nice. fun because uh, his boyfriend is from the UK. So, like... He was oh. commenting on all the different train stations and pointing out which ones actually weren't what they were labeled in the movie and stuff. Anyway, nice. it was nice to have the fact checker. But um, yeah, no, being able to watch with people and laugh is a great way to experience these movies if you're going to. Also, perhaps when you're watching Fifty Shades, um, <laughs> it is, yeah. Absolutely. We're gonna we're gonna just like put that one in the list too. It sounds counterintuitive, but it, it it's more uncomfortable to watch them alone. You want to watch them with people. <laughs> <laughs> this is a group effort. It's not an orgy, it's a group effort. We're gonna <laughs> Yeah, that's to the clarify. viewing party, yeah. apparently. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, uh... viewers can do what they want to do. Oh, yeah. I, I, no judgment here. I'm... No shame. You can watch whatever you want to. If you like to watch, it's hell, a Mission you know, Impossible or would probably be a blast to be to be honest. Like uh... hazardous waste. <laughs> oh. yeah. 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 Oh. So back to really quickly to like the kind of the lack of agency uh, with women in these first two. It, it's so frustrating because they almost get there, right? Like. The Thandie Newton character, what's her name? It's, it's Naya. something uh, Naya. I was I was gonna say it's like they Nikaya, did a lot better right. with her than Claire. I'll give them that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they did, but it's like, oh, we're gonna recruit you to like be active and do something, and then Anthony Hopkins shows up and he's like, now nah, we just need her to fuck him, like basically, and it's like, yeah, oh, you were so close, like you know, and that's like when you're watching the setup, like especially now, I feel like it really does seem like, like oh, so so you see her capable, like you know. And your introduction to the character and it's like cool she's going to be a part of the team right she's going to be now and it's like no you just have to to be the uh woman in need the damsel basically for the villain and just bang him and, and get information and it's just so disappointing because they're right there but mm-hmm. anyway um i found it interesting that they came that close and then kind of like almost seem aware of it you know um and anthony hopkins has that really gross line too where he's like Oh, what you mean? Go to bed with a, a man and lie? She's a woman. She's got lots of training. I was like, rude. Like fucking hell, man. <laughs> like, I think there was a uh, similar throwaway line in the first movie. I think it's just they're contractually obligated to say at least one very sexist thing. <laughs> I guess, man. <laughs> <Per> film. <laughs> and it's always like the old dude, the old white man, who says some nasty shit about that. Like, what the? No, John Voight. No, Anthony Hopkins. No. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, could tell my he... water sprayer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I could Stop definitely it. tell he he was making uh Hannibal at the same time as this because he is very Hannibal Lecter-esque in like some of his like demeanor and body language. Um maybe it was like the exotic setting in Spain, but uh I was like <laughs> you're very much in I feel like you're you're Hannibal Lecter like skin no pun intended um <laughs> like for for wah, these wah. scenes right here which uh, added like a kind of layer of creepiness to me that I um like I had never picked up on before. Well, any other thoughts before we cast our vote? I do have one other random thing to add which we can cut, but any other things that you guys want to mention? Uh, I'll just say one more thing about Naya, which is she is introduced as like this amazing insane character. And like Chris mentioned, like then she gets her assignment and she's kind of downhill from there. But they also just like with her wardrobe, her behavior suddenly shifts. Like they take her from like the kind of like 
uh, sed seductress archetype to girl next door archetype through the film in order to make her like the acceptable love interest by the end. And it just, mm. it was so textbook, my jaw dropped. <laughs> kind of off of that too, another thought, um, where she injects herself with the virus to try and thwart um, Sean Ambrose, who's the villain. It's interesting to me how watching it again, I thought, you know, wow, okay, very ballsy. I like it. And then she has some line where she says something like, I wasn't thinking, I just did it. And I'm like, I feel like your character should be smarter to know, like, I thought what you yeah. did was smart because you knew you were going to get shot. And insanely heroic too. Yeah. Like... And, and like you forced his hand. So don't just have her have a line that says like, I don't know, I just did it. And I'm like, no, you, that was smart. But yeah, don't just like, don't, don't like take away from her moment by having some really like unnecessary dialogue. Like, and then after that, it's like, we're, they just dropped her off in Sydney and she just roams around in the cliff and commits suicide. <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> I and feel so like she like could a... have gone through that hole in the wall too. Like she's yeah. like, you can't get me both of us out. And he's like, nah, <laughs> there's not enough space <laughs> on the raft. <laughs> I'm like, why? <laughs> I just didn't understand. Yeah. I'm t I, there's not enough. Uh, my parachute only holds one person in this film. All right. <laughs> oh, that's why is the parachute. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. I, I still think I... he could have held her. I mean, she's tiny. <laughs> he could have done it. You know, it's like, no, this does. Shit, in the logic of this movie, he probably could just be like, I'll spin and you can land on me. Like, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> it's <laughs> James Bond. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'll come back for you. Yeah, what? sure. Yeah, you'll send the two dudes in the helicopter to come back for her. You're going to go beat the crap out of this other guy. All right, guys. So what's the verdict? Drum roll. We're going to come down to whether we think Mission Impossible 2 is a unicorn or a dead horse for the franchise. And May, I'm going to pass it over to you for your judgment. I think I'll be standing alone here, but I I do have to say it's a unicorn. I think it is a great hey. like self-aware parody of the franchise and of this kind of spy action film. And that helps me forgive its sins because I see them as part of the parody. Um so yeah, it's a it's a unicorn for me. I genuinely enjoyed it more than watching the first one. Awesome. All right, Chris. What do you think? Yeah, it's a dead horse, man. And I think in a, in a different in a di in a different package, you know, I think yeah. this would work better for me. I think it is fun. Like I've softened on this movie. Like I said, I came prepared to shit all over it, and I was like, you know what? Like there is a lot to to like about this movie. Um, even if most of it's ridiculous, but it is derivative, and the best is yet to come. Uh, and again, I know we said we weren't going to really compare this to the future movies, but even like I think the original Mission Impossible is like what I want, even if it's not a perfect movie, and it's certainly not. Um, yeah. it's more of what I want out of a Mission Impossible film, and um, I think just yeah, it just does it. It as a sequel, it misses the mark completely for me. I don't think it enriches the universe. It goes a different direction. So if like we were judging on you know originality like i think that's a different conversation but i don't think it enriches the franchise at all well i will say this before i give my judgment for our listeners if you are interested in the original mission impossible and you are much more into the sort of mind games and espionage i think the tv show is definitely worth checking out and i'm pretty sure that's all on paramount plus um and, and probably also all the mission impossible films at this point too except for but, three, which is weird but anyway yeah yeah so maybe one day we'll see 
but the uh yeah i have to say overall from a franchise perspective and also the reason why we had such a break in terms of mission impossible films up until more recently i i gotta go with dead horse i still think it is fun on its own as sort of like maybe even a fan fiction of mission impossible but it is in terms of the franchise i think it is the weakest link and so unfortunately as much as i want to like it for more I, I think that it was it was trying too hard to be something that it really didn't need to be. But it's a hell of a dead horse. You know what I mean? It is. It is. Can we say it's at least like a sparkly dead horse? Uh, yeah. Sp- sure. Why Maybe. Not? It's halfway. <laughs> it's kind of like, like no. a sparkly, kind of like Twilight, where you go like yeah, a little bit, you know, a little bit there in the sunlight. This will be the last episode, hopefully, where we don't play a game. Uh, we're coming off the holidays after all, so... We're going to keep it uh, nice and short for this week's episode. We are going to draw another card. Um, Does anybody have any like hopeful categories while I'm shuffling these? Anything you like want to see? I'd love another more than some of parts personally. Yes. I I agree. Let's see I know we, we kind of just had a director drill down, but that was our first one. I feel like we should have more. <laughs> yeah, more those are definitely movies. fun. <laughs> Certainly nowhere to go but up in terms of watchability, I feel like. Uh, oh, you say that now. Ooh, baby. We've got a you've never seen. And this is going to be a will pick. Hey! <laughs> And strap in because it is the epic Gone with the Wind. Oh, damn. We will be watching (laughs) Gone with the Wind. Uh, So get comfy, baby. Um, I haven't seen this since high school, so I'm actually quite excited to watch this. Um, It is one of the most visually stunning films I've ever seen from costumes to sets. Um, And I think this came out in the 30s, right? 37? Does that sound about right? do a quick check i'm terrible here. at math but i'll say yes <laughs> <laughs> i believe that's that's when it came out but um so obviously you've not seen it because it was your nominee uh may have you seen this uh i have not noise right uh 39 is the when it released um well okay. in that case this should be quite the exciting conversation because it's been uh what like a couple decades for me and mm-hmm. uh and never seen for for you all so um, hopefully you're pleasantly surprised. Great soundtrack too. Um, mm-hmm. well, very ready? nice. That, that'll be our next uh, next film for next week. And we will talk more on uh, next week's episode about some, some holiday plans. We're, I think, still trying to finalize like what our schedule is going to be and all that kind of stuff. But we'll be sure to give you plenty of notice. Uh, but until next time, we love you. Yeah. Bye. Bye, Bye guys.